Well, good afternoon, everybody. And today we have another seminar session with uh, Jesse Zwicker. Hello, Jesse. How are you today? Hi, Ruben. Hi, everyone else. I'm doing great. Praise the Lord. Very good. So this is the uh, second uh, part of our seminar this afternoon. And uh, today, Jesse is going to share with us. He's going to introduce the uh, actual title. And uh, we are going to be blessed, certainly. Very quickly, I want to introduce uh, Jesse. Jesse is a good friend. We've been collaborating uh, for some time now in Hive. Uh, Hive is amazing. And I know that you were uh, a missionary in Honduras and you profit a lot from Honduras because you gained a lot of business experience that you're going to share with us because you, you saw a need. And also, you found your wife, right, with Jesse? Isn't that the case? The most profitable business venture <laughs> and most profitable and nowadays you uh, have a couple of companies and you also um, dedicate your time to uh, provide consultancy services and also you have a translation company so really blessed to hear you jesse just go ahead and share with us today thank you ruben why don't we just start with a word of prayer and then we can just dig into the topic business in prophecy all right let's let's go pray there you go. Father in heaven, Lord, we just want to come together this afternoon to um, study your word, study prophecy, and study what your opinion is as to how important business really is to help advance the work in the time of the end. And so we, we just ask for your wisdom. We ask for your Holy Spirit to be present to speak to us this uh, today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, good. Let me share my screen and we can uh, roll into our presentation. All right. So here we have, this is the title, um, Business in Prophecy and the Three Angels Messages. So what in the world does this worldly thing like business have to do in prophecy and especially in the Three Angels Messages? Um, We'll study into this whole thing uh, much more, much deeper and preparing for it. I got so energized just reading all of the stuff and reading that, finding out that there's way more content around this topic than I ever could imagine myself. So, so I'm excited to share this stuff with you. And uh, we're going to dig into it right now with our first quote from Christ's Object Lessons. Uh, this, you might've heard this quote, uh, in the past, religion and business are not two separate things. They are one. They're the same thing. Um, and they really complement each other. Ellen White is so strong about how they need to be integrated that she calls the separation of it essentially a divorce. So if you look at this quote here, you can see, she says, you have felt that business is business and religion is religion. So it's totally separated. But I tell you that these cannot be divorced. She's talking about divorce. You are not to put asunder and listen to the language. This is, this is uh, wedding language. My brother just got married on Friday. And, you know, this is, the, this is the, the wording that is used when somebody gets married, right? You should not put asunder 
that which God has joined, business and religion, you know, whichever one is the man and the woman, but these are the two that are a couple and they should be presented as a divine, divinely appointed couple. Here's another beautiful uh, quote that I really like um, where she's talking about how we're going to do enterprises. And we love doing enterprises here on earth, but really the grandest enterprises, she says, are not going to be here. But this is just a preparation ground here for the bigger enterprises that we're going to do in heaven. So let's read it here. There in heaven, every power will be deployed, uh, developed, every capacity uh, increased, the grandest enterprises will be carried forward, the loftiest aspirations will be reached, the highest ambitions realized. I just love this quote, you know, because it really gives us uh, a sense that what we're doing here is really just the training ground, even though sometimes we think in entrepreneurship, you know, we think what we're doing is cool stuff and so forth, but really what we're going to get in heaven is going to be so much more and so much more entrepreneurship uh, is going to take place in heaven. So I'm very excited about going uh, to heaven to get started on some of these cool projects up there. Um, so before we get into uh, more of the nitty gritties here, uh, Luke 19, it, where it tells us in this parable, essentially where Jesus tells us that we should do business till I come, till he comes, right? And, uh, and that we shouldn't get like stuck uh, just uh, getting rid of everything and then not being able to do anything anymore uh, because, you know, Jesus might come tomorrow or uh, in a few days or in a few months as some people believe. And I believe that Jesus is coming soon, but the idea is really to do business until we cannot do business anymore. And, and part of that is that the business that we are engaged in should not be this, uh, you know, what people think is a, you know, worldly business. You know, we should be in business, but really in business to advance the work of God with the things that we're doing. And we're going to read some more about that theme. Now, in the past, uh, really, business and money has had a quite a bad reputation, if I can uh, say it in a, in a positive way. So, but let me ask you, just a, um, make, a, make a poll here and ask, uh, how many of you guys have run a business or own a business now? Maybe you're not running it anymore, but you own a business or have started a business in the past. Uh, you can, you can uh, answer that poll right now. And we're going to continue with these, and then we'll we'll share the the result of that poll. And Jesse, we can also educate people right now. The first poll that you can uh, um, see the polls on the right side of the chat box. So you can click on uh, the right side. You will see chat and polls, and then you have the first uh, live question that Jesse has put out uh, that is right now available for you to vote. And then you can continue, Jesse, and we can. Uh, uh, share the uh, the results very soon. Okay, so I can't see the chat, but that's that's okay. I'm gonna just it's fine. I, I will I will uh, tell you the results, and then uh, in a bit I'll close the poll. You Great. can go ahead. Okay, so let's just continue here with uh, 
the backstory behind why business really got this bad reputation. So business used to be a, a good thing in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, business was a very healthy, very positive thing. If, if you were doing well in business, that meant God was blessing you and was helping you. And you were following the laws of nature and the laws of the mind, which business is mostly has to do with the laws of the mind, with the understanding of value and how to contribute, how to identify needs and how to supply needs. Um, but then later, especially in the medieval time period, uh, the church um, started abusing business and, and other enterprises as well and started actually making people feel like when if they're if they're making more money then they they must be more worldly and if you're making less money and actually if you're poor then you're going to be a very spiritual person so uh, the most spiritual people as you know uh in that time who were they it was the monks right and the monks um Many monks, not all of them, but many monks, like Martin Luther himself, as an Augustinian monk, uh, he had to make a vow of poverty uh, as part of being a spiritual person. And so, so, um, and then that came together with the church, you know, creating business models uh, like. Uh, Can I ask you uh, just one thing? Uh, you have the uh, a box of color the color uh, palette on top of the presentation. So you just close that box. Uh, some of our viewers have told us this. Oh, uh, there you go. Oh, okay. Thank you. Perfect. <laughs> yes, I don't. I didn't want to interrupt you, but uh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's perfect. Okay. So the point is basically that that in the past, you know, they've abused really uh, with indulgences and so forth forcing the people to give their money to the church. And by doing so, they commit spiritual acts and you can actually win your salvation by giving more money to the church and, and also uh, creating purgatory where if you give money then to the church, then you'll, you'll, you'll allow your grandma to, to be less time in the fire uh, burning. And so, so these kind of misconceptions really created a bad taste also for money and for business um, until uh, really Martin Luther came along and Zwingli uh, for that matter. Um, actually Calvin was the strongest one in the, in the pack that really talked heavily about business and how, and how uh, the gospel and how the Bible was actually in favor of business and in favor of entrepreneurship. And he kind of rekindled that. Um, and, and it was very interesting because that really pushed the Protestant movement to become much, much more entrepreneurial, much more business-like, uh, business-oriented, and much more like against the status quo, against you know the, the, the rule of the church at that time and so forth. And so they really created a lot more businesses to not have to be employed by by Catholics and so forth. So they, so they created all of these things. And, and the effect that it had on countries is very phenomenal. This guy, Max Weber, a German guy, wrote a, a, one of the most quoted books in 
history and social economics, uh, talking about how Protestantism affected the spirit of capitalism and the economics uh, of different countries. So if you look even to today, you look at the distribution of how, you know, where a majority of Catholics live, where a majority of Protestant religions or, or uh, denominations live, then you can actually see a direct correlation to the success of the economy of the country uh, based on this kind of a distribution. The most obvious is North America and, and South America, but also uh, Northern Europe versus Southern Europe versus Africa. You know, there's, there's a number of interesting uh, dynamics where religion really had a play in how economics um, turned out in the, in, the, in the country. And so the mindset as to what we believe, whether money is good or bad, or whether studying business or theology you know, is good or is bad and good or vice versa. And I started studying theology and I ended up studying business. Um, and, and, I, and I actually believe I'm probably more of a missionary now than when I studied theology. So, so, so this, is, this is part of the reason why I think this topic is so important is that to be able to have a scalable impact, business is the study of understanding how to make an impact in society how to study, find a need, and fill that need uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a successful way. So let's, quote, let's read this quote here. And uh, we have also the results of the first poll, if you want, Jesse. Oh yeah, please share them. Okay, so we have about 75% that actually own the business and have started a business and 25% that have not, let's say, yet, yet, right? Okay. So that's the result. Excellent. So that's a that's a that's a nice crowd that we have here. So a lot of business people. So this is a, this is this would interest you, of course. So let's go to the next question, the next poll, and that yes. is, how many customers have you led to Christ through your business? So this is just a question for the business owners for the seventy five percent, and we'll have another question afterwards for uh, the others um to answer this a similar question for them so how many customers have you been able to lead to christ or been able to to really uh uh fall in love with christ um through your company all right it's live um, now we're going to leave it for about two minutes and we'll come back to it okay so let's read these quotes uh, meanwhile uh because these are to me one of the some of the most powerful quotes that i've um, ever read in my in my life here she says not one in a hundred among us is doing anything beyond engaging in common worldly enterprises we are not half awake to the worth of the souls for whom christ died so the the reason why we're only engaging in common worldly businesses is because we're only half awake to the worth that souls have for which we uh, can labor because God, Jesus even gave his life for these people. So let's us also give our lives. And she says, if the followers of Christ were awake to duty, there would be thousands where there is one today proclaiming the gospel in heathen lands. So this is from Testimonies Volume 8. 
strong quote. Here's an even stronger quote, okay? Uh, these, are, these are very strong for, for businesses, how we do business. You know, she says, we have no time now. We're in the time of the end, okay? This is, we're talking about business and prophecy, time of the end. We have no time now to give our energies and talents to worldly enterprises. Shall we become absorbed in serving the world, serving ourselves, and lose eternal life and the everlasting bliss of heaven? Oh, we cannot afford to do this. Let every talent be employed in the work of God. So, and this quote is not meaning that we should all give up our businesses and, and just give all the money to the church and then, you know, start working, all be employed as pastors. But the point is that we should learn to utilize all of the social influence that we have with our businesses, with our employees, with our clients, with our partners, uh, vendors, and use that to actually positively impact and positively influence uh, all of these stakeholders and be able to help them to actually make a step towards, um, towards understanding that God is actually in favor of them and God is actually a loving God and is, and, and, and he's trying to help them be successful and etc. So so this is really, really important that this is part of our mission in whatever business that we're in. So um, let's go to the next quote, uh, the next uh, question. I just want to ask that the other 25% that are uh, employees that haven't done business in that sense yet. Um, yes, and we have the results of the second one. And okay. the results are also 75% say, unfortunately, no, so zero. And the other 25% one to five. Okay. So On the how many customers have you led to Christ through your business? Okay. So this is, it's interesting, huh? So that so we really have not, and this is my conclusion in this, is that we really have not tapped into the power of the influence that we have through business um, in society to reach people uh, with our products, with our whatever we do. Um, and I have a whole, I do consulting for, you know, for this topic and obviously as court, you know, majority of the time is uh, I spend a lot on obviously profit engineering and, and, you know, startup development and really getting traction for uh, customers or for companies. But, but really one of the major keys is this methodology of how to, how to share the love of God through my company with my, all the stakeholders, including the employees, but especially with the customers, uh, uh, to to bring to bring them closer to a relationship with God, um, and it's not easy. It's complicated, and some businesses are more complicated than others. But there is actually a methodology, and there is a solution for these things. So, um, and we're going to go into the history a little bit more of what what God asked the church to do in the past with these things. So let's go we to have the a next. third question. Yes, we have the third question live right now. Mm -hmm. Is uh, for the employees, how much, how successful have you been with leading? How many people and cost customers, co-workers have you led to Christ? That's right. So let's dig into now 
Madison, Madison College. Um, Madison College in many parts of the church has almost been forgotten. And I'm really, really almost sad that this has happened because this was, to me, one of the highlights of, uh, of the Adventist Church and one of, the, one of the visions that Ellen White had about starting this kind of a, an institution, which was run by Adventist um, professionals, lay people, starting this kind of an institution in uh, right outside of Nashville in the United States, starting a school that was totally, and you know, back then the term entrepreneurship was not known. Um, so, so Ellen White called this college a self-supporting college. It was the first self-supporting college. Um, and some of the features about this institution are written here in this book, uh, Madison, God's Beautiful Farm. I highly recommend it. Um, it doesn't share all of the details, but it shares a lot of the story, a lot of the, the principles and the values uh, that this institution had. This institution was so successful in the United States that it actually uh, was mentioned and was actually written about, a whole article was written about it by the president's wife uh, at, in the United States at the time uh, to talk about this only self-supporting, the first and only self-supporting college in the United States and probably in the world. No student was allowed to even pay tuition. Isn't that amazing? Uh, most of our, our colleges would not survive if that was the case in their, in their situation. So this is one of the, one of the um, a picture that was taken uh, just five years after the institution had started. And, and these were a lot of the workers that were already working there. Uh, it was started by um, E.A. Sutherland, Edward Alexander Sutherland, and Percy McGann. They started this, this program, training people. And Ellen White, here she is right in the middle, uh, a little bit to the left. She had, uh, she was on no other board in her entire life, not even Loma Linda, not even Battle Creek, except on this institution, Madison. She was on this board to help give it the shape that it needed to be, to be able to make this impact. And she makes uh, quite a number of statements. And at this school, at this college, they were training essentially what we would call entrepreneurs, but missional entrepreneurs, not not just normal worldly entrepreneurs going to do business and make profit, but really using all of their means to advance the work of God, to, to reach customers with the gospel. And they created a number of products. Here you can see most of the, most of the soy-based products were invented at Madison. So soy milk, soy uh, coffee, soy, you know, 30 different types of products soy meats, you know, uh, all these substitutes they invented in there that we eat today. Uh, probably many of you drank some soy milk today or something like that. So Madison College had at its peak, 1930s, 1940s, had over 450 students on site in their campus. None of them were paying tuition. 
all of them needed to do business or work in a business or start a business together with a few other students um, to be able to pay for their tuition, to be able to sustain the, the institution. And so they had, at its peak, they had over 50 businesses running simultaneously and over half of them were run totally by students, started and invented by students. They had a big sanitarium there. They had the Madison Foods, which was widely known in the United States, uh, going into all, all, the, all the parts of, of, of the States. They obviously continually invented new products. They had the farm, the agriculture was a big part of the whole thing. You know, some students started a, a broom factory, they had stores, they had restaurants, they had, they had a, a number of things. They had a blacksmithing, they had, you know, I mean, they had all kinds of things going on in the institution. And when these guys got, um, when these guys got graduated, when they finished, it was, uh, it started with just a short course, like a year course, and then it became, a, you know, three years, and, and the, in the end, four years, and they started all kinds of institutions uh, all over the country, um, and then all over the world. They taught business and accounting, they did research, they, they eventually Actually, this is the institution that helped start ASI. Uh, the founder, E.A. Sutherland, was then asked by the General Conference to start uh, this association of self-supporting institutions. This is what they called it. That was a, that's what ASI stood for um, at, that, at the time. And so they helped all these different schools starting all over sanitariums and restaurants and health food stores. And so the, so ASI started becoming this umbrella organization for all of these institutions. So let's read what Ellen White says about Madison. She says, the school at Madison not only educates in the knowledge of the scriptures, but it gives a practical training that fits the students to go forth as what? As self-supporting, so self-sustainable, business-based, missionaries to the field to which he is called. So they can go pretty much anywhere because you can start a business anywhere if you know how to do that. And then she says, and, and this is why I know I'm not really inventing this whole thing, is that what was the most important thing that they trained at Madison? And I always think, well, it must be Bible, you know, but actually Bible was important, but she says, they have been learning to become self-supporting and a training more important than this they could not receive. So this was the most important thing that Madison did for the church and for the world and for the students was to teach them how to be self-supporting. And, and they did that by teaching them how to identify a need in society and how to fill that need and start a small business, a small scale company that has an influence in that society and uses that influence to reach people and, and actually help people. She says, the class of education given at Madison School is such as would be accounted a treasure of great value by those who take up missionary work in foreign fields. If many more in other schools were receiving a similar training, we as a people would be a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. 
the message would be quickly carried to every country in the world and souls now in darkness would be brought to the light. Brothers and sisters, we are sitting on gold right here. She says, if we would do this whole training people to be self-supporting, to really be business missional entrepreneurs, then the gospel would be preached quickly unto every nation. And we haven't done it. So we need, we need to do this kind of um, training, this kind of stuff more. Various industries, she says, should be carried on in our schools. So back then, they didn't have technology. They didn't have, you know, computers. Uh, but they were teaching these people how to do business on a very, on a, on a, on a basic level, right? What do they teach them? The industries, you know, they, they, the industrious instruction given should include the keeping of accounts, accounting, right? Bookkeeping, carpentry. Okay, carpentry business, it's easy to start, right? Um, and all that is com comprehended in farming. Farming is easy to sustain yourself wherever you go, right? Oh, I forgot the other quote. There's another quote here that is part of that quote that basically tells tells everything that they were doing like we should do blacksmithing and and uh, even she says typewriting you know this will be like software development nowadays right and the number of things um that they were doing back then so here's another crazy quote all our denominational colleges and training schools should make provision to give their students the education essential for two things. What are those two things? Evangelists and Christian businessmen. Wow. So these are like top priorities, you know? So I'm thinking, wow. So business is really more important for the advancement of the gospel than what we have really thought it was, you know? We thought it was more like just for our livelihood type of thing. But no, no, no. It's much more important. It is the biggest, the maybe the most potent vehicle to, 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 um, to expand our work and to scale our impact in the world. So um, let me ask, let me ask the next, um, the next. Ruben, are you there? Uh, the poll? Yeah. Uh, we have put already the poll, and 70% uh, have not had the opportunity yet to share the gospel with a customer or coworker. And then we have 20%, and then 5% were able to share the gospel with more than or share. And actually, the question is uh, led to Christ. I'm not even sure, it led to Christ. So, um, we have one person more than 10. That's excellent. Okay. So, so the and next the medicine question, the medicine question is also out and the results are out. The 70% of our audience knew about medicine and 30% never heard about medicine before. Okay, good. Then we have here. Um, so medicine to me is really like one of the starting points. And unfortunately, Madison, uh, when the founder left and a number of things happened it didn't continue it wasn't able to continue uh 
it's highly entrepreneurial. So if you, yeah, anyway, so it's, uh, there's a number of factors why it didn't uh, continue. So, but this is really like the founding, for me, one of the founding stories for establishing a college to train entrepreneurs to really uh, access actually the people, the lay people that were not full-time engaged in doing evangelism, but they were just doing worldly business. And, and uh, the pastors, we already have the pastors, they're already working full-time for God, but then what are we doing with all the lay people? Today, realistically speaking, we have about 99% of the church that are lay people. Okay, here we go. Let's stop. Okay, so so this is to me why this message is actually so important because business allows the the lay people or the professionals i don't like to say lay people you know this is a medieval term uh kind of putting down the 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 non uh priests right um but anyway so the other professionals in other areas they um were not being fully taken advantage of for the advancement of the work and so business allows people to work a full-time job and be paid by it and at the same time be able to advance god's work right so this is what we call business evangel evangelism or entrepreneurial evangelism or missional entrepreneurship is what 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 i like Jesse, can, can you start the keynote because you have, are in the there you go yeah there you go better. Um, so let's go to the next the next step. So after Madison, same time period actually, um, Ellen White had a dream of how we as a church should work the cities. So this is still in the 1800s, 1880s, 1890s. Ellen White had this dream of this um, this really important thing and she said it's the most important thing that we should do and that is to reach the cities and with a specific methodology with god's methodology to reach the cities so how did how do we do that here she says it she says there is no change in the messages that god has sent in the past the um the work in the cities is the essential work for this time, it's essential. It's like it's like air, right? Air or water to drink. Uh, without it, we're gonna die, right? And so this is the essential work for us, for the church, to be alive, is to work the cities. But then she makes a prophecy. She says, when the cities are worked as God would have them. So we've been working the cities for a hundred years, but she says, when the cities are worked as God would have them. The result will be the setting and operation of a mighty movement such as we have not yet witnessed. And this is what she's talking about is the latter rain movement is the final movement of, of uh, finishing the work. And she says, what's going to push that is actually the work in the cities. And now the question is, how do we work the cities? Uh, how does God want us to work the cities? 
she says, God calls for self-sacrificing men converted to the truth to let their light shine forth in clear, distinct rays. So this is part of the rays that light up the world with the glory of God are these people that are working these cities. This is from Medical Ministry 304. So let's go to this vision that Ellen White had. So around 1880, actually it was 1876 to be exact, Ellen White had a remarkable dream about the Silicon Valley area, San Francisco area, the startups in San Francisco. Back then, it was about social ventures, about natural healthcare. She was talking about clinics, sanitariums, and vegetarian restaurants, which was like totally cutting edge. It's still cutting edge 100 years later, right? Back then, it was super innovative. Uh, these kind of enterprises, and to use these for a spiritual impact. She says, all with the vision to solve the world's most pressing problems in a sustainable way, not just in California, but in every city of the world. And she called this method the beehive. This is actually why we started Hive Camp or Hive International, which is to create these kind of beehives in every city of the world. So let's look at what this beehive in San Francisco looked like. They had a number of things, a number of social ventures, taking care of the needy, taking care of orphans um, and so forth and, uh, and different businesses. So we can just kind of cruise through here pretty quickly um, to see what she says. She says many lines of Christian effort were being carried forward by the brethren in San Francisco. This was done by the church members, not by primarily the pastors, but by the church members. And this is where the, the word beehive um, comes. So she's talking about these past few years. This is what they were doing, right? Around 1900. She says, what did they do? They were visiting the sick. They were finding homes for orphans. So they were really trying to solve the world's most pressing problems at that time. Now, now San Francisco at the time was uh, a major, a major port for the United States. It was the main port of the West Coast. So everybody, all kinds of ships were coming in. These people had been, had been, you know, on ships for six weeks. Many of them died, got sick, and so forth because there was no sanitary. They were, you know, doing their their physical necessities in the same place that they were sleeping. I mean, all kinds of things uh, going on. So these guys would come to this port and help all of these people that stranded that were coming to the United States uh, with the hope of doing something. And they came and brought them hope and brought them not only hope, they showed them that God really cares about them and that also um, that, uh, that they can fall in love with God because God is there to help them. They demonstrated the gospel, not just proclaimed the gospel. They proclaimed, but they also demonstrated so they did these kind of things. They worked for the unemployed. They found work for the unemployed. They had a number of businesses going on and they tried to employ as many people as possible or finding employment for them. They nursed the sick. Nurses were going around to, to the homes doing, doing uh, medical work. They were, they were teaching the truth from house to house. They were distributing literature. They did uh, what we call literature evangelism now, right? They had 
these evangel book evangelists, they were self-sustainable, selling books, even giving away some, some tracks and so forth. Uh, they were doing helpful uh, cooking classes and, and, on, and also on helpful living. They had a school, like a daycare for children uh, in the basement of the Laguna Street Meeting House, which was the, 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 the main church that they had there. They had a working men's home and medical mission. They had uh, on Market Street, they had uh, treatment rooms. They had a clinic going on. They had a, a, a sanitarium, St. Helena Sanitarium, which is now the St. Helena Hospital, uh, as a branch of those treatment rooms in the city. So they had a lot of different kinds of social ventures and businesses, because these are all sanitariums, restaurants, clinics. These are all businesses, but with a focus of really helping and demonstrating the gospel, demonstrating God's care and love for these people. And then in the same locality, they had a health food store. Then they had a vegetarian cafe, pretty much downtown in the city, which was open six days of the week and entirely closed on the Sabbath. And then along the waterfront, they did ship mission work, right? So this is what I was talking about, is that they, these guys were coming from the port and they actually brought like crates of food and they even helped them with like getting showers even there at the port, uh, really helping these guys <clears throat> be, uh, be able to have a good, uh, nice welcome. Adventists were famous at the time uh, for, for helping people at the ports. When, when people, there's, there's local, there's records on, in the newspapers and so forth saying that, you know, people would come shouting from the, from the, uh, from the, the ships saying, hey, are you guys the Adventists? You know, and then we, they would say, yes, of course. And then they would say, oh, fantastic. You know, we're just so happy because we know that we're going to get taken care of. So, so they had a really positive reputation in the city. If the Adventist church had closed their shop in San Francisco, the whole city would have felt it terribly. And part of that, because of that, because of that influence that they had, then, she says, at various times, our ministers then conducted meetings in large halls. Why large halls? Well, because all these people that had been touched, now they, were, they had trust with Adventists. And so then when they conducted meetings, then everybody would come. And so they had these large halls, and that's how the warning message was given by many. This is from Welfare Ministry, page 112. Then Ellen White says a very interesting quote about this hygienic, which is a, a different term for vegetarian, you know, non-hygienic non was the meat stuff was very unhygienic back then. So hygienic restaurants means vegetarian. She says, in San Francisco, a hygienic restaurant has been opened and also a health food store and treatment rooms. But these are doing a good work, but their influence um, should be greatly extended. And then she says, other restaurants similar to the one on Market Street, on that, that restaurant there, should be opened in San Francisco and in Oakland. And so basically, what is she saying? She's saying, man, we should franchise this kind of a, uh, this restaurant that we have, and we should do similar ones in other parts of even the same city and other cities, right? And so, uh, unfortunately, um, we haven't figured out, or nobody really has figured out a 
a, a working franchise for our restaurant work and, and all the other things, but we should franchise. We should think about scaling, you know, this is 50 years before McDonald's even started, right? Which is the first like operating franchise. So, so we, we, we are, we had the vision, but we, we missed it somehow. So I think it's time to catch up and get going. So the whole idea of the beehive is really to create this network of many different types of businesses and ministries and social ventures and all of them are integrating themselves to help each other to lead one cut from one customer base to the next to send them to there you maybe not are not able to to uh, lead them to christ you know in your business but you can you can recommend them to go hey look there's a lifestyle center over there and they might spend more time with you uh you know and they can they can they can have more impact and more influence and and help you really show, uh, help them see that God cares for them and that um, they can fall in love with them. And that's how then uh, they were brought um, then to the church, not as trying to convert them or trying to baptize them, but essentially they just want to be part of this cool, awesome movement of everybody using their talents to really solve these problems of society and, and demonstrate the gospel in the most holistic way possible, uh, which includes everything that we believe because it helps us actually be these better uh, better people by God's grace, right? So that was the beehive. Um, I, hope, I hope you're all fired up for starting some beehive somewhere around the world. Um, and we're more than helping, uh, more than, uh, you're more than welcome to call me and we can, we can work on stuff like that. We're doing now hive camps, these events all over uh, the world to promote this idea and to promote missional entrepreneurship around the world. Um, here she says, has a, a, a number of quotes where she says that we should use not just the ones, the, the methods that she has mentioned, but also other methods that we should use. She says some of the methods used um, will be different from the methods used in the past, right? Uh, but let no one, because of this, block the way by criticism. So we really need to, um, to be open to new methods and new ways of doing uh, the work, right? So here's some of the businesses that she actually mentions and, and, and in a very scalable way. She says, restaurants we should have in every city of the world, sanitariums outside of every city of the world. Guys, you know, we have employment for all Adventists around the world if we would just do this stuff that has been told us, right? Uh, she says, health food businesses in every country. She says, it's very, very very important that we create these businesses or these, these health food manufacturing locally, right? Because international, she says it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, and, and any other business, she says, in medical ministry. So uh, we really need to work on these things. She says the closing message of the gospel to be carried to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people from Revelation 14, from the three angels' messages, she says, in foreign countries, many enterprises for the advancement of this message must yet be begun and carried forward. Guys, this is a call for us to start these projects all over the world. 
And then she mentions some again here, the, the ones that we kind of know, the opening of hygienic restaurants and the treatment rooms and establishment of sanitariums are necessary, not just in America. And she, she goes on to say also in Europe and so forth. So uh, this is really part of what we're supposed to do. And actually, Ellen White has entire books written just about certain business models. There's a whole book just about health food business, right? Health food ministry. Then she has, there's a book just on restaurant ministry. There's many books on schools, on, um, on uh, sanitariums. I mean, there's like four books on sanitariums, medical ministry, councils on health, uh, testimonies, volume seven, at least big sections of it. You know, uh, anyway, councils on diet and food. I mean, there's a number of them and uh, we really need to uh, do this, uh, I believe. And there's a lot of foundation for us to actually do these things. Now, I'm not saying, as I said previously, that we should do these exact businesses, um, but we really, we really need to be thinking in new ways, in new businesses, because we're living in a new time. We, we, I do, I have a, I have a technology startup, but I also have a translation startup uh, or a company. Now it's not a startup anymore, but, but uh, you understand. So the idea is really to be very creative about what the needs are out there finding those needs and being able to, to, um, to solve that need in society. So let's go uh, to the last chapter. But before we go to the last chapter, I wanted to ask the question on the beehive um, for, the, for all the participants. How many of you know about, have known about the beehive vision before? There you go, Jesse. Um, actually, I was too fast and I put that question out. Uh, when you were talking about beehive, fine. We have we have results already, uh, and the percentage is uh, about sixty-five percent, seventy percent knew about beehive before, and the other did not. Okay, so similar to the exactly. other. Exactly, similar. Pretty much a third to two thirds. Uh huh. Okay, good. Um, so let's go into now the last part of the presentation and then we'll go into questions, okay? Um, the last part here is now connecting business with the three angels message in terms of prophecy, in terms of what the significance is. So there's a number of significance, uh, significant points, but uh, we don't have time to really dig into it, everything, into everything. Ellen White does say how important, you know, the that the, the three angels message righteousness by faith is the three angels messages in verity. It's, it's the, it's essentially uh, in the context she's explaining, it's the demonstration of the gospel in practice, in real life is, uh, is, is living the three angels message in verity. It means that you're not absorbed in doing just worldly business, doing whatever, but you're actually, your main theme in your life is to allow Christ to live in you and for that to transform everything that you do, including your business, right? And so, and so, uh, and your work, right? Regardless of where, if you own your business or you work in a business, but that your work is truly sanctified and is, and has as its primary aim to actually demonstrate that loving care that God has for the world. And of course, you can do that wherever in any job that you have, regardless of 
whether that's a, a ministry or your own business or not, you can still demonstrate that. Um, but the most effective way of doing it is when the when your personal mission is is aligned with the company's mission, right? So if the company's mission, and if it's if he's an Adventist or a Christian, and he has that same mission to to really demonstrate the love through his company, through his products and everything, and it tra- it changes the way they run the company, then your mission is aligned with the company's mission. So if you're working at somewhere else, you can still do that. You can still have a certain influence, but you but it it doesn't work on a large scale because the business itself is not is is at odds with what you're doing. And then often, of course, they're gonna tell you that you're not allowed to you know talk about religion and blah 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 and so then it makes it very complicated so this is why part of why i think madison and the beehive and these messages are so important is that it's time for us to start our own companies and this was always the the vision that ellen white gave us right she said she said they're doing hospitals well let's do our own hospital and 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 run it as uh, uh as in an adventist way not in the worldly way but in in God's way, uh, so that it can really demonstrate the love of God to to the world, right? And she calls these businesses memorials for um, for God if they're doing that in their business. So let's go into now the besides the three angels' messages, there is a fourth angel that unites with the three angels' messages that is very heavily connected with what we have been uh, talking about. We already talked about these rays that that light up the world uh, with these different um, ministries and businesses. And, um, and now here we go into, into, into Revelation, Revelation 18, verse 1. She says, and after these things, so this is after even the three angels' message has been, been being proclaimed, she says, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and then says, and the whole earth was lightened up with his glory. And so this, this angel comes down shouting and lightening up the whole earth with his glory. Now, what is the glory of God? Glory of God, just a very quick Bible study. Exodus 33, verse 18 and 19. Here he says what, what that, God demonstrates what that is. God, Moses talks to God and he says, you know, Moses says, now show me, show me your glory, right? So what is God's glory? Well, here it is. And then God said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name the Lord in your presence and I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And that is my glory. So what is God's glory? It's actually his character of love and compassion and goodness, right? That's, that's really the glory of God. And so this glory that, that, now back to Revelation 18, lightens up the whole earth is, is are the people that are demonstrating the goodness, the mercy, and the compassion of God in a 
loving way. So it's the demonstration of God's character that, that ends up lighting up the whole world with his glory and showing to the world, giving them the last chance to say, oh, you know, I want to be part of this, right? <clears throat> or not, right? And, and they have that choice. And so LOI makes this, uh, makes the, these, these different um, inferences on enlightening the world. She says, God has qualified his people to enlighten the world. He has entrusted them with faculties by which they are to extend his work until it shall encircle the globe. So it's really a worldwide scalable idea of how we can, how we can do that. And, and then it continues saying, in all parts of the earth, they are to establish sanitariums, schools, and publishing houses, and kindred or other facilities for the accomplishment of his work. And then she says, I saw jets of light shining in cities, from cities and villages, and from the high places and the low places of the earth. And God's word was obeyed as a result. And as a result, there were memorials for him in every city and village. So this is a prophecy that there will be these memorials in every city and village around the world. So what are these memorials? Here's some, I, I put some, some quotes here in short. What, what she mentions as memorials, she mentions institutions, she mentions uh, sanitariums or health centers, she mentions sana, uh, centers of influence, any type of center of influence, she mentions outpost centers, she mentions restaurants, schools, churches, right? So all of these things, and actually, and I would conclude from this, is that any business or any entity or any bee from the beehive, you know, any of these little venture are all these lights, these rays that lighten up the whole earth with his glory as memorials if their primary aim is to demonstrate the love of God and share the love of God with the, the people that they come in contact with. And to finish off, I have here a quote where she makes this really straight, where she says, we didn't do our job. And because of that, because we didn't do our job, God is going to have to raise up agents. Here she says, you know, I will instruct the ignorant. The, the, with heavenly eyes, this is talking like Laodicean language, right? Uh, that we are in spiritual darkness. But because of that, I, God himself, will raise up agents who will carry out my will to prepare a people to stand before me in the time of the end. And then she says how they do that. She says in many places that before this ought to have been provided with sanitariums and schools, I, God himself, will establish my institutions and these institutions will become educational centers for the training of workers. And then she explains how that happens. So you can read this, the, the, the whole thing in Testimonies, volume seven, page 101. But this is a prophecy where it says, we didn't do it, but because we didn't do it, this prophecy is kind of unconditional, you know, because it's, it's like, we didn't do it, but then God himself is going to do it himself. So these institutions uh, schools and sanitariums, but also all the others, all the restaurants and everything else that she's been talking about in the context will be established all over the world. And we get to be part of that vision 
or get to sit on the sidelines and watch, right? Now, I personally, I could not, I don't want to be, I don't want to read these prophecies and, and then just sit down and have other people do it. I want to like jump in and do it myself. So, so, and I think the more people jump in and do it, the more we will get this work done. So there's a number of prophecies also in the Bible, uh, especially Ezekiel 47, where it shows how that medical missionary water flowing out of, she, she talks about sanitariums and and all this health work, restaurant work, health food, whatever, all of these things, and, and actually, and all the other businesses are also, if they really solve the need, are part of the big picture of what Ellen White calls medical missionary work, it's not just medical, um, will flow out of the sanctuary or out of the church and fill the entire world, will, over, will flood the entire world with this healing balm, this healing water, uh, uh, going over the whole world. These are the, the same vision from, the, from uh, Revelation 18, basically. So in the time of the end. So the last thing I want to share is, this is a little promotion, but if you're interested in finding more about this, this business and mission together, um, we're doing a, an event uh, together with ASI in November, November 16, 22, uh, this, this global summit it's, a, it's also a virtual summit where you can go register at hiveinternational.org, hive with a Y, and you can, and, and you can be part of this movement of, of uh, really doing missional entrepreneurship, okay? Let's open up for questions. We're right on time. And uh, yes, thank you, Ruben, for hosting, hosting this, um, this time with us. Excellent, Jesse. It was an amazing presentation. I loved it every minute. And uh, we had a very good feedback, very good engagement. I think we had a very interested audience. Um, people just hang on here and, and just, you know, receiving comments in the, com in, the, um, in the chat. Excellent. Loved it. And uh, we have some questions. You know, there's interesting one of the individuals that is, uh, has been watching is actually doing a dissertation on beehives. Now, uh, doctor of dissertation beehives. That's a good thing. And he just thought so. Is that yeah. does? That is correct. That is correct. So uh, <laughs> I got so, some content from him. So <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> there you go, Doug. So, so he also shared with us the legal entities of uh, San Francisco were Beehive San Francisco Medical Missionary Benevolent Society Rural Health Retreat Association of California. California Medical Missionary and Benevolent Association, right? So as you said, it's historical, right? That uh, uh, this has been the roots in the, the Adventist movement. Uh, actually, I didn't realize, you know, this very simple thing, but I realized in this presentation, Jesse, that, and we have talked about this so many times, but, you know, one of those, those moments that self-supporting is actually entrepreneurship, but Ellen White did not have that word, right? Not that's, have right. That word. that's right. Now this with this word that we use so much, and it seems like she never mentioned it, but she mentioned it so many times. Exactly. Because it's, it's all so it's, it's, it's amazing. All over the place. And the need for actually to get out there and do something, put your talents to work for the mission with the things that actually passion you, right? Because as you said, somebody might be involved with one thing, somebody another thing, right? That's what makes a difference. Uh, we have a, a couple of questions here, and is 
One of them is, um, what is the difference, or this several coming in, what is the difference between missionary endeavors and missionary, or missionary endeavors and missionary endeavors? Endeavors. Missional, 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 missional endeavors. Missional, missional endeavors and missionary endeavors. Why is that? They are endeavors, I'm sorry. But you get the point, right? Yeah. It is basically, the, the missional seems to be popular term now. Correct. Yeah. So, so what I'm what I'm doing is I use missional more than missionary, and mm -hmm. the main reason is simply because there's a perception in current society, and the, and it's getting stronger and stronger <clears throat> that missionary <clears throat> is connected with colonialism, is connected mm -hmm. with uh, trying to put your your culture on top of the other person's culture and you're going from a third world a first world to a third world country and you're gonna you're gonna help them which means you're telling something help you know so all of these things are connected with the traditional missionary uh, term in many people's minds so so and i don't want to connect with those things but i do want to connect with the whole idea of of actually doing god's mission and so i i like the 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 missional mixture approach of still having the mission in there but not connecting too much with the with the, the negative sides of some so that some people perceive now obviously in the church we don't have that problem too much it's it's uh you know uh you know everybody likes missionary work or at least most people actually i know some that don't but 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 and and, and it's also getting stronger actually but but I like this approach. It's a, it's a little bit of a softer uh, word, but it's essentially means the same thing, um, just packaged nicely. Very good. <clears throat> Another question is, what advice can Jesse give to start the Urban Center of Influence Business as a mission and work with the church? So we always have, the, actually this morning, we had a similar question in a different context. How can I integrate these ideas that are self-supporting to actually work together with the church, my local church. Is that a tough oh, one, Jesse? The local church or with the conference? Yes. Well, let's talk about the local first. Think global, act local. <laughs> so, so the the Ellen White has a really cool statement, and I, you know, because of lack of time, I took it out of the presentation. But it's it says the true purpose of the church is to train the church members to use their talents to work for God. And so mm -hmm. the, the main purpose, if I understand this correctly, and I study, I actually ended up even graduating as a pastor, but, but, uh, but, uh, but uh, yeah, I definitely do uh, have a different approach to, uh, to ministry, of course. But, but, um, but the idea really is that the, one of the primary per, uh, uh, job descriptions of the pastor is to train the church members to use their talents and say, oh, you have experience uh, being a chef in a restaurant or uh, you're a business manager. Okay, look, let's get together and start a restaurant together. Okay. And some people have done this. I know, I know Mario Brito, who's now the, the division president in Europe. Um, you know, he did exactly this and started a restaurant in Portugal. Right. And, and there's a number of Remember that one. That yes. have done these kind of things, and um, and it's and it's really revived the church because suddenly they can actually use their talents and work full time for God with their talents, even though they're not called to be pastors. So, 
So in my mind, this is the integration. The, the pastor is there to just kind of like encourage them, motivate them, train them. Coordinate. Coordinate. And they, even though they're, they might be all separate businesses, separate ministries, uh, the church doesn't have to control or own anything. Um, and it's actually, most of the time, it's, it's better if, 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 uh, if these things are just simply coordinated with ASI and with and the division, and they should, all, they should all work together, but not everything needs to be controlled by the church. Now, some of them uh, can be uh, run by the church, and we've had some good experiences uh, with that. Sanitarium in Australia is one of the most successful companies in Australia in the health food uh, industry, and it's run by the church, right? So it, it works, but an, a number of cases where that hasn't happened, and uh, part of the problem is that if, uh, you know, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Rivelino Montenegro, he says, he says, uh, you know, a, a camel is actually a horse designed by a committee, you know? So, so um, the more people you have involved in developing a ministry or a business, you know, and everybody wants to have their thing inside of that thing, then it, eventually it becomes a very awkward uh, um, thing. So it's, it's better to uh, usually have it in a very slim format. And I'm not against committees. Committees help and advise and do uh, good things. But, uh, but there's, there's, a, there's a place for, for each of those um, in this work. And, and some of it is really also um, good when connecting with the church or with the centers of influence. And uh, Doug Vin, who's, who's here um, listening and commenting, um, you know, he's, he's one of the more experienced guys doing it with the church. He's working for the General Conference and, and, and helps uh, develop some of these projects. And they have a number of very successful projects that are working under the church. The church is also very interested in doing more of this kind of stuff in the, in the MENA region and in the uh, 1040 window where, where they really can't go in as missionaries. They have to go in as business people. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, um, so this is, this is really a, a big need also to connect with the church and connect with uh, also private entities and ASI and OCI, if you know about OCI. These are all the networking organizations that really help all of these businesses and ministries to be successful. And of course, Hive, right? Very well. Well, actually, uh, we have several questions about Hive now. Okay, you ready? You did talk about Hive. Yeah. It was a good promotion. That's a great program that I endorse fully. You should make plans to be part of this uh, event in November. It's gonna be very exciting. This is the first time ASI is doing a virtual event. We have learned a lot and I hope that together with Hive, we're gonna be doing better, okay? Uh, the question is, what if we register as a group of students to the November event? Can we submit some projects? Another question. Then another question. Are you guys offering courses of coaching to Adventist students? So pretty much related, but you see there's some people that want some deals here, uh, Jesse. What can you tell? So we do. Um, so you're all welcome to come to, to the event um, if you want to register as a group. Was that the question? I think that was the question. Yeah. If there is a, what if we register as a group of students to the November event? I don't know exactly what, let me see if the person is uh, adding some information here, but the, the question is related to 
uh, can we come as a group? And uh, I think that uh, that is yes, right? Well, is this like a, a group yeah. of some a group that is going to present a project? Can you develop a little bit how the projects are done? Is it just individually or as a group? You know, yeah, so that. Um, it's a it's a virtual startup conference. So anybody can come from anywhere. Uh, you can come as a group. You can come as a startup. So there's you can first you register for the for the event. But if you have a startup, you can that after you've registered, you can also submit your pitch. You can submit your pitch actually tomorrow uh, in the afternoon at two whatever two o'clock. Uh, on how to pitch, how to pitch your pro your project. Um, here at ASI, and uh, you can uh, basically you can submit your your pitch, your project, and uh, and you will be able to pitch that. Then, if it gets in, uh, then you'll be able to get uh, feedback from investors and potentially even funding. So, um, you can do that at the event. We do professional um, consulting and business coaching uh, on behalf of Hive. So, if you go to the website. You will see, you will see um, all of the the different offers that we that we offer. We do we have trainings from past events like presentations like these and others um, that we have uploaded on a on a platform for you to be able to 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 get this kind of training yourself. You know, it's it's um, uh, that's a way to get training. But then we do individual coaching. We also do some group coaching. Um, of course, that's much more affordable. And, uh, and if it's ministry oriented, of course, it's also much more affordable. So uh, we do, we have these services. Um, and I just encourage you to go to the website, you can see there, um, all the things that we do. Yeah, so right. So there are some questions also related to that following up on that, which is I think you have answered partially. Does Hive have a repository of business plans, benchmarks, KPIs? Uh, you know, things related to the learning process to actually uh, present the project and then to uh, manage that uh, startup. Do you have anything related to that? Yes. So our big focus in Hive is really, our, our expertise is really in the startup process. So the startup development or small business development. So accelerated growth stuff. Um, so we do have a lot of best practices on how to do all of the different steps of like developing your company into or developing your idea into an MVP, a minimum viable product, um, so that you can start getting traction and going from there, validating your idea with customers, with real time feedback and iterating and pivoting into a, a, a really uh, profitable and and uh, a business that really has traction and then can also make an impact a spiritual impact as well so so we go through that process through consulting through coaching um as as the people um we have a number of clients from all over actually from from south america and uh, africa and the united states a number of them so um yeah so we're we're definitely more than well this is actually our mission so we just want to help you guys everybody anybody that is starting a project a business that wants to do mission to to be successful um and, and to do it on a professional level with benchmarks with everything very good we have several questions related to that i think you have answered most of them 
Uh, one is actually, uh, is this a worldwide, anybody can uh, pitch and present for November? I think you have answered that one, right? Um, the world. We're excited, we're maybe a thousand people to, to come, uh, a few of them, a number of them. I mean, we used to have, in smaller events, we have about a third of the people that want to present a pitch. Um, mm -hmm. And I expect that to be even larger simply because it's virtual. You don't have to fly anywhere. It's much cheaper to get in front of a lot of investors and and uh, and other you know and other business leaders from around the world. So it's um, and get top-notch training from Adventist, right? That's the uh, exactly. big pitch, right? It's unique. You don't get it from anywhere else, right? Exactly. That's a unique proposition. Hive, you can't get from anywhere else. I participate in Hive, and I can tell you, it is a life experience. If you're really serious about startup admission you should attend Hive. And now it's going to be available worldwide, November, you should attend. Well, uh, Jesse, we're running out of time. There are some other questions, but pretty much I think we have covered them. I, have uh, and I want to mention, mm -hmm. and that is if you want the presentation. Right, some people have asked that. Yeah, this is usually what, what comes up. Um, That's a good, good member of action because in the beginning people were asking for that and I was forgetting that, so go ahead. So you can just either you can uh, go to the QR through the QR code and we put in a, a, a basically a, a type form. So you can just put in your email and name and we will be able to then send you the presentation. I, you know, usually I always put my email address, but then oh, I get, let me see. I'm going to do it right here on live. So you really do is you scan with your computer, with your phone, right? Yeah. Right. There we go. And I'm doing it, everybody. So you should be doing this. Just uh, pick up your phone, scan the um, scan the uh, the QR code that Jesse uh, shared, and here I am. Right? Wow, that's amazing. Good stuff. I like so it. Very quick and email, practical. I'll get you the presentations, and and you can have any all the updates for what's what's going to happen with Hive and so forth. So. Okay, so I hope that everybody had that chance. We give a couple of seconds for that. Thank you very much, Jesse, for your excellent presentation. It was really, really juicy. You had a lot of good things. And I love the fact that you have done very good deep research and is well fundamented with facts, with a spiritual prophecy, as you said. We have an entrepreneurship a cultural legacy and uh, we should do, be doing much more than what we're doing, right? Uh, we, uh, we motivate everybody to get involved in mission through entrepreneurship. Amen. So thank you and uh, have a rest of a good day. And we invite you tomorrow for more seminars as well as tonight for the plenary session. Thank you and see you next time. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI. Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.